So I'm here with uh, Frenchie Corbell. Is that how you say your last Corbet. name? Corbet. Okay. Yeah. Um, before we get started, I just want to thank you for inviting me into your home, being able to interview you. I'm glad to do it. Yeah. So, um, when when you were in the Navy, were you were you drafted or did you volunteer? I I volunteered, but it was in 1953. And there was a draft ongoing. I did not want to get drafted, so I joined the Navy. Okay. Um, how old were you at the time? 19. 19? Yep. So pretty much right after high school. Yep. I graduated from high school in June of 52. January of 53, I joined the Navy. Um, so did you have any friends, family members, or classmates who also served in the military right after or in Vietnam? Not that I was in touch with, no. Okay. Oh, in Vietnam? Yep. Mm, I had one real close uh, friend, a shipmate, and we went to Navy postgraduate school together in 1965-66. We graduated in 1966. And he went on uh, those river boats that were in the Mekong Delta. And he got killed three, four weeks after he got there. And, uh, yeah, that was kind of a bummer. Yeah. And yeah. I went aboard an aircraft carrier, and I went into the Tongan Gulf, but I was never shot at. So was that right outside of Vietnam? It was in, yeah. That's it it we, was inside? We were, we were in the South China Sea, flying airplanes over Vietnam, dropping bombs on North Vietnam. Mm, okay. So where did you receive your training? I went to basic training in San Diego, okay. and uh, then I went from there to Norman, Oklahoma for Airman Prep School, and then I went to Lakehurst, New Jersey for weather school. Learned to be a weather observer, map plotter, and all that. Yeah. Okay. Um, do you th How was your training? Do you think it was adequate? Very good? Very good, yes. That's good. Um, did you know anything about Vietnam as a country before going there? Not much. No, no. Uh, see, the, the Vietnam War started, it kind of started when I was on the Coral Sea. And, uh, and that was in 1962. We, we went in uh, and escorted another uh, helicopter carrier into Vietnam to offload a bunch of helicopters and they were going to South Vietnam and we just flew in or drove in with them on the Coral Sea to provide uh, air cover for them in case they were attacked but they weren't and then uh, that was in 1962 and we didn't go back into those waters again and then in 1966 I, w I volunteered to go aboard Forstall which another aircraft carrier and the first place we went was Vietnam so uh, what what opinions did you have about the US's involvement in Vietnam at the time well, I thought we were doing great that was uh, I, I was kind of ticked off when we quit because we were winning yeah <laughs> was that kind of a general theme between you and all your comrades yeah that's, yeah yeah, we, we thought we were on the winning team, and then when they th 
actually just kind of threw in the towel and said, okay, forget it, you know. Yeah. So it was like 10 years of wasted effort. Yeah. So, uh, so were you ever actually on Vietnam on the land? No. No? Okay. No. Uh, what, what were, uh, living conditions like? So you said you were on an aircraft carrier. Oh, they were good. Yeah. We had a good place to sleep, lots of food, good food. Well, that's good. Um, did you have contact with your family or friends while you were in Vietnam? Just mail. We didn't have wireless stuff back yet. You know, no email. Yep. None yep. of that. <laughs> yeah. So it was just write a letter and a month later you'd get an answer. <laughs> so it'd take a few weeks to get there, a few weeks to get back, huh? It was two two weeks outgoing and two weeks to get back, you know, so it was about a month between when you sent a question and when you got an answer to it, you know. So uh, what what was your typical daily routine? What, what? what was your typical daily routine? Value? No, your typical daily routine. Like, what did you do on a daily basis? Well, I was a I was the officer of the deck for one thing. Okay. For one one of one of uh, five, and we stood four hour watches on the bridge. And the officer of the deck on an aircraft carrier is the guy who's responsible for the what happens to the ship. Is no the only guy who is he answers to is the captain, and uh, so he makes sure the ship goes where it's supposed to go safely. When it's time to launch airplanes, he run turns it into the wind and they launch the airplanes and bring back the ones that are up in the air already and and uh, and I did that, but I was also the, my primary job was also a ship's uh, meteorologist, okay, a weather forecaster. So you said the ship would be faced into the wind when you were launching launching airplanes. So why did you go into the wind instead of with the wind? To to get the maximum wind over the deck. You needed you needed to have thirty knots of wind over the deck in order to get an airplane off safely. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So if you had a twenty knot wind and you turned into it, you only had to go ten knots. Yeah. <laughs> But if you didn't have any wind at all, or if you went downwind, then you had to go a lot faster. So, did you uh, experience any injuries or wounds while you were fighting, or no? No, no, I didn't. I, the only thing I did is I one time uh, was running from a, a wheel that flew off an airplane. When I hit the deck, the landing gear came off. And I ran from that and jumped in the catwalk and I swung down off of something and my my, my wedding ring hooked on a combing and <laughs> tore my finger off. <laughs> wow. So I took it off and put it away until after I was off the ship. <laughs> that yeah. was the only thing. Close call, but yeah. that's good. Did you uh, make any close, pretty close friends during the war? Yeah, quite a few, yeah. Are you uh, still in contact with any of them? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I got one. One guy lives in uh, Cincinnati, and he, I, I, we haven't seen each other for twenty years now, but we still talk to each other, send emails, you know. Yeah. And phone call once in a while. Uh, yeah, I'm in touch with lots of them. Oh, that's good. Um, what What was your opinion on uh, regarding President uh, Kennedy, Lyndon B. Johnson, Nixon? Um, Gerald Ford, 
what what was your opinion of them as commander in chief? Do you think they did a good job or? No, I. Kennedy was great. Uh, Johnson. I th- I thought he was kind of a a liar. He'd uh, he put out little falsehoods. Yep. And uh, instead of calling him the commander in chief, we took to calling him the liar in chief. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he'd say what we're going to do and this is the way it's going to be and then it would be something different altogether. Yep. So, Nixon was was better. He was stronger. I was really disappointed when uh, he had to hold up his tent and leave because of that Watergate thing. So, uh, what, what, what did you think about Ford? Ford? Yep. Oh, I liked him. He, was, yeah. he did all right. Yeah. So yep. you said you were gone for ten years. Is that right? For what? You you said you were gone for ten years. Is that right? Oh, I was in the Navy a little over thirty years. Thirty years. Okay. So how did uh, how did voting work then? It was absentee absentee ballot. So you just filled like a mail in ballot type yeah, thing. Yeah, mail in mail in ballots. So. Yeah, and uh, you could only get one from you. Had, you had to have a state of residence, and then you could. Yep. There was one, one officer on the ship was assigned the duty of voting officer, and it was up to him to procure an absentee ballot for everybody that needed one. So that was his specific job was just make sure voting gets done and yep. taken care of. What what did you do for fun? For fun? Yep. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, when you're on an aircraft carrier, there's not much time for fun, so it's all work. Really? Yeah. Yeah, there's... When the when the ship goes into port, then you can go ashore, you can go to a bar and have a drink, you can do whatever you want to. But at sea there's not much not much leisure time. Yeah. How how often would you say you got you went into port and you got free time? We'd we'd stay out for thirty days and then go into port for seven or eight days. How would you uh, describe your morale throughout the war? Pretty positive. Oh yeah, yeah. I was, uh, everybody I knew was pretty upbeat. You know. That's always a good thing to have. Um, did your attitude about the war change as it progressed, or did it pretty much stay upbeat the whole time? It didn't change much. I was I was kind of in favor of what the United States was doing, and. Uh, I thought we were pursuing it well enough and uh, until 1973 when they quit. <laughs> How did uh, you and your comrades regard the Vietnamese? What What were your thoughts of them? Well, we thought they were pretty good. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on how the war was handled by all the media outlets? Media? Yep. <laughs> Yeah. I didn't trust them. You didn't trust them? Do nope. you think they were pretty inaccurate in describing on what was actually yeah. going on? Yeah, one time we were going into, when we went in to escort that that the helicopter carrier, it was an emergency get underway from the Philippines. They had an emergency recall of all the people and put them on the ship. And after we were at sea, the captain said, uh, going to be no outgoing mail, no outgoing messages, and he told us where we were going, what we were doing, 
And he says, when you write home, I don't want you to tell anybody what we're doing. Yep. And uh, nobody did. And the media never got hold of it. Nobody, <laughs> nobody, our whole mission was never known to anybody, which is amazing. Cause yeah. you think out of, you know, 5,000 people, somebody was going to write and say something. Nobody did. So what, what would you say your biggest challenge was during, during the war? Getting accurate weather information for the people that were flying over the country to drop bombs so that when they got there that they could go to a place where there were no clouds and they could see what they were doing. Um, so how, how long, so you said you served for about 30 years, right? 30 years and five months. <laughs> okay, so what, what was your rank when you were officially done, when you retired? Captain. Captain, okay. Mm-hmm. So you know the song Fortunate Son, right? The what? The song Fortunate Son by uh, Credence Clearwater Revival. How does it go? Um, it's the song where they, they talk about... Um, fighting in the war is unnecessary and it, it was basically a song about um so the writer of the song he was talking about um Dwight Eisenhower's grandson who was drafted and he was supposed to go into the navy and he was also married to Richard Nixon's daughter but because he had um the privilege of being um in with all the government officials he was able to switch and go into the um, Navy and basically he was allowed to do what he wanted and um, it uh, it upset the writer of the song and uh, I guess a lot of the soldiers fighting in Vietnam enjoyed the song. Do you think that was accurate or do you think that was a thing played out by the media? I don't. I I can't say because I don't know anything about the song. Really? I don't recognize it at all. I don't okay. think I would have liked it. <laughs> so basically, the the media made it seem like this was a song that most people fighting in Vietnam enjoyed but if you've never heard the song well then I don't know if that's true or not I never heard it so um talking about after the war did you have any difficulty readjusting to society when you returned was everything normal yeah well that's good that's good um so the the GI Bill did you did you benefit from that I did yeah yeah we uh we were authorized uh a home mortgage on the GI Bill, and we bought a house using that. Uh, and you could use it for education. I didn't go to college on it because the Navy sent me to college, and then they sent me again to postgraduate school where I got a master's degree. So I really didn't need to use it for education. But I did. I did a correspondence course with the GI Bill. It was a. It was I can't remember the name of the course now, but it had to do with the. Heath kits, <laughs> and you could, oh, television repair course. So and at the end of the course, you had, you built a television. <laughs> so you said that that the Navy sent you to school. So did they did they all pay for that? And I was fortunate because the Navy had a, came up with a program in 1956, and you could have you could apply, but you had to commit yourself to more time. In uh, 19, early 57, my four years that I signed up for was expiring. 
But I thought, yeah, that school sounds like a pretty good deal. So I, I shipped over for six years and applied for that school program. And they sent me to University of Washington for four years for a bachelor's degree in electrical engineering. So, so did you apply any of that to, in uh-huh. the Navy? Did you apply any of your electrical engineering skills to being in the Navy, only, or was that after? Only uh, because when I was in a squadron, and I was in aircraft maintenance, and I was in the electronics section, radios and snooper gear and stuff like that, and I was you know, overseeing the division. I didn't do the work, but I was the officer in charge of that group. So would that, would that have like included like doing repairs and stuff? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, what, what is your uh, view on the use of Agent Orange? I think it was a bad thing. It was, uh, it was one of them things that seemed like a good idea at the time, but it turned out to be not so good. It was, it was defoliated, but uh, the price that was paid was too great. And, yeah. and uh, the defoliation <laughs> wasn't that effective, actually. You know, they killed, killed a lot of leaves. Yeah. But it, then it started killing people and animals yeah. and everything else. Yeah, it, yeah, it damaged uh, a lot of uh, people. And um, it, da- it damaged, actually... Vietnam's um, land too. I mean, it, it ruined their waterways. It, it ruined yeah. growing crops for the next few years. Oh yeah. And so it was really kind of a sad thing because the, one of the people who was responsible for in putting the program in effect was this Elmo Zumwalt, Admiral. He's the chief of naval operations, and his son actually died from that. So were, were you ever exposed to it? No. No? I, I could claim exposure because I was on the ship and aviators were flying over there and, and coming back and they, you could say, well, okay, they brought back this disease with them and maybe I contracted, maybe that's why I get a cold once in a while. But no, I don't believe, I, I'm not affected. So, I don't even get a cold. So, um... How how did that work then? So the planes would be loaded with, with it, and then they would they would take off off the aircraft carriers, and then they would fly over and just drop it on the land, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, on a prescribed area. Yeah. yeah. Have you ever been back to Vietnam, or would you ever choose to go back? Nope, I was in uh, Thailand. That's a... Thailand. So how close is Thailand to Vietnam? It borders it. It borders it. Okay. Yeah. So, final question, wrapping up here. Um, were there any lessons that you learned or have been able to carry out through your life from being over by Vietnam? From Vietnam? Yep, or just being in the military in general. Well, I think, yeah. I, I always say the three C's. Courage, confidence, and conviction. If you if you believe something, you got to be convinced yourself. You got to have confidence in what you believe, and then the courage to, to push it. That's right. So, so you got courage, confidence, and conviction. Sounds like a good motto to go by. Did you guys was that was that a thing that everybody used, or was no, that just me. you? Just you? Okay. <laughs> just I I even wrote about it recently. 
Yeah, that's that's what I was just thinking. Well, you know, that's important because uh, I almost ran over a, a Russian trawler that was when I was on an aircraft carrier. I was the officer of the deck, and this Russian trawler got in our way, and and we were he was ahead of us on the same course as us, but he was only doing eight knots, and we were doing twenty-two, so we were coming up on him pretty fast. So what? he wanted us to believe that we had the maneuver to go around him, but we weren't about to because he put himself there. Yeah. And uh, the navigator of the ship told me, he said, uh, Mr. Corbet, I'm ordering you to turn the ship. And I said, Commander, you cannot order me to turn the ship. <laughs> so, I said, if you want to relieve me as officer of the deck, then you can turn left, turn right, or come dead in the water, but you can't order me. We're not changing course. So what's a uh, Russian trawler? What what exactly is that? It's a, about a 110-foot boat. It's an electronic listening trawler. What they, call, they call them ELIN, electronic intelligence, because they got all kinds of antennas, and they listen for your radio transmissions. And they're Basically, they're spy ships. Yeah, okay. <laughs> That's the short way of calling them. No surprise there from uh, Russia, huh? Yeah, this yeah. was during the Cold War. Was yep, ongoing. yep. They didn't like us. We didn't like them. And here's this Gorski sitting right there in front of us. And, and he thought we were going to turn, but we didn't. And uh, we would have run over him if he hadn't got out of the way. So, so would you did you guys consider them as enemies at that time? A what? Were they considered as enemies at oh, that yeah. time? Yeah. Yeah. They were no, not shooting enemies, but they were enemies. Yep. We didn't have any love for them at all. Yeah. And they, and they sure didn't like us. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's good thing that it stayed a Cold War, though. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. We're able that to was, avoid that all that. That was probably one of the longest wars we were ever in. Yeah. <laughs> it lasted from 1940-something to 1980 or something. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I just want to thank you for your time. 